the old world is dying the new world struggles to be born now is the time of monsters with those words from gramsci i welcome you to the time of monsters podcast sponsored by the nation magazine today uh, i'm joined by my colleague at the nation chris lehman and we're going to be talking um about various subjects, but maybe the first monster that we're going to talk about is Margie Taylor <laughs> Green, uh, who is a kind of monster on the ascendancy. Uh, and there's this, um, she uh, has emerged as a kingmaker within the Republican Party, uh, despite having all sorts of outlandish views uh, and statements. And so much so that um, the current uh, Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, really owes his position to McCarthy. Um, uh, Margie Taylor Green, and uh, in a New York Times article, it had this amazing um, quote from McCarthy, uh, which reads more like a romance novel than political reporting. <laughs> but uh, McCarthy told a friend, apparently, I will never leave that woman. I will always <laughs> take care of her. Uh, so um, <laughs> there's usually this sort of, you know, uh, one hopes platonic uh, romance between McCarthy and Margie Taylor Greene, uh, but she also has the the uh, possible uh, love triangle if we want to uh, continue the soap opera theme uh, with uh, Donald Trump, because there's um, talk that uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's uh, political ambitions, uh, they do not really know very many limits, and she is thinking, you know, beyond this current role of being the kingmaker in the um, uh, Congress, you know, maybe uh, the next uh, uh, path for her is to become the um, Donald Trump's vice presidential pick if he becomes the nominee. Uh, so Chris wrote a, a very good column about this, and I wanted to talk to him about this. And I, I think um, maybe the way the place to start is about this kind of like remarkable ascendancy of Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, like who one would think <laughs> would be a figure that the Republican Party might want to distance themselves from, especially since uh, she is seen as so extreme and that they have suffered real political costs in like the last three election cycles in 2018, right. 2020 and 2022 from, you know, the perception of very many uh, moderate voters that the Republican Party has gone to extreme. So like, why would like in that situation, um, Marjorie Taylor Greene be in the ascendancy. So maybe just talk about, A, just a reminder of how extreme she is, and then right. what is the basis of her power? Um, yeah, absolutely. And thank you again for having me on, Jeet. Um, you know, first I wanted to back up and, and uh, say we shouldn't use uh, adultery metaphors in Marjorie Taylor Greene's case lightly because she <laughs> was famously involved with her personal trainer and the time she was married. I mean, that that now counts for nothing in uh, the world of Republican political scandals. Trump has permanently inoculated that, even though we're, we're now seeing Matt Slap gearing up, head of the American Conservative Union, gearing up for CPAC as he's being sued for sexual harassment. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to like uh, underscore that the whatever. Uh, um, adultery I may be hinting at is political adultery of yes. uh, <laughs> the, the case of alliances and not, and, and you know, like frankly, I've always found the, the private lives of these individuals uh, not very much of interest uh, no, unless, no, unless they break so. the law. Uh, yeah. But, 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 but yeah. it is the case that, yeah, she is a, she's a figure who um, um, is in high demand. And uh, yeah, I know. And, and as you say, she um, what's striking is she comes from a very, very extreme background. Um, 
She was an early and ardent fan of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Um, part of her recent mainstream makeover is she's tried to distance herself from that. Um, you know, she was stripped of her committee assignments in the last Congress, which was a Democratic majority in the House, um, because she uh, unleashed some social media memes threatening violence against some of her colleagues on the left. Um, she is, of course, um, will always be remembered with the phrase Jewish space lasers, uh, which was her theory of uh, why uh, I... Um, Forest fires in California are becoming more frequent and more intense. Um, it is, of course, the Jews' fault. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, you lay out this kind of profile on paper and you don't think this is someone who should be on the House Oversight Committee. And yet, <laughs> here we are. Uh, she she got that plum appointment, which is very high profile and will direct a lot of investigations uh, under the Republican majority into alleged, um, you know, misconduct in the Biden White House, um, which I'm sure will also extend to um, the president's son, Hunter, and his infamous laptop. Um, she also got a, uh, a plum assignment to the committee that's going to investigate the uh, federal government's COVID response, um, which is an interesting um, and, you know, I think very strategic um uh, alliance on her part as well. Um, as I noted in my piece for the nation, uh, one reason that uh, Trump's candidacy is is getting a, a somewhat more lackluster than expected uh, reception in the conservative movement is Trump is not um, four square behind anti-vax conspiracy mongering. Um, you know, his administration did do um, Project Warp Speed and help develop the vaccine. It's something he's proud of and he's not going to back away from. He tells people at rallies they should be vaccinated and he gets booed. Um, so if you think of a 2024 Trump candidacy that, you know, I, I don't think he has any path forward beyond, you know, going deeper in into the conservative movement. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene does tick a fair number of those boxes for him. Um, the The you know, limitation is uh, I don't think you could have a, a ticket with two conspiracy mongering attention addicts, let's say. <laughs> um, and no, no, no. Uh, there, yeah, there is great potential for combustion. On the flip side, you know, Trump made a very conventional uh, sort of vice presidential pick in 2016 with with Mike Pence. And as one of the people I interviewed pointed out, that ended up with, you know, an angry mob trying to lynch Mike Pence. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's it is hard to know. Um, you know, Trump is a, in some ways a pragmatic um political figure when he has to be. Um, but what's weird is, you know, I I increasingly don't see a difference between the fringe right and the mainstream right. I think that distinction is being blurred, and I think. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene's ascension is in many ways exhibit A of, of that. Um, you know, she did forge this alliance with Kevin McCarthy, who is a man utterly without principle and will do anything in pursuit of a, a job that is sure to torture him as Speaker of the House, but <laughs> nevertheless. Um, and, um, you know, I, I believe his devotion to her is real. I believe, um, you know, he understands as well that 
um, in this unruly moment on the right, he actually, you know, also gets a political benefit from being aligned with with someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. So yeah, all you know, uh, right now, um, everything's coming up green on on the right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I I mean, I think one point that you made really gets at the heart of this matter, which is I think the traditional understanding of American politics is always that you have um, sort of mainstream establishment right and a more uh, extremist right. You have like Eisenhower on the one hand and the right. Birchers. And right. um, I think a lot of what the uh, people have avoided thinking about is the way in which the conservative movement has allowed uh, a ba um, the, uh, fluidity and uh, a, a broaching or uh, a breaking down of that line. Uh, yeah. and, and I think Trump's own success is has been part of that. I mean, he sort of came to political prominence through by um, embracing birtherism. And uh, yeah, um, no, absolutely. And so, 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 so there seems to be like Marjorie Taylor Greene seems to be part of that sort of process whereby the sort of division uh, between, you know, um, uh, being an, an elite member of the Republican Party, getting plum assignments and uh, and occasionally playing footsie with QAnon, like that's no longer seen as two different things. Um, so, uh, but I, I think it might be worth underscoring just how much of a star she is, like, I think, and why she would be an attractive pick, because like, right. you know, she's a big, um, do you want to talk about how she's like a huge sort of fundraiser and she's, she really isn't a sense. Yeah, no, she's real um, popularity, uh, real base. Yeah, no, I mean, this is another thing that's changed dramatically on the right over the last political generation is, you know, there's a very direct kind of outrage to cash conduit um you know i i sort of market its beginning as a moment when uh joe wilson got up in the 2009 state of the union address and shouted you lie uh to barack obama who was then making a point about immigrant uh health care and uh in the three days following that episode um joe wilson raised more than a million dollars uh, the RNC that approached him to sign off on a major fundraising initiative as the, the poster child um, for opposition to both immigration and the ACA. Um, and yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for all of her, um, you know, let's just say colorful beliefs, is um, among the top 10 fundraisers in the in the House GOP caucus. Um and that, again, that is no accident. Every time she does one of these uh, outrageous things, like the remark about Jewish space lasers, or when she uh, accused Nancy Pelosi of unleashing the gazpacho police, <laughs> um, she then goes to her base and is able to say, oh, look, you know, the, uh, the fake news media thinks we're all dumb. Give me more money. Um, and she produces. That's, you know, at the base of uh, Kevin McCarthy's um, romance novel um, affection for Marjorie Taylor Greene is, you know, more than $12 million in, in campaign cash that she's raised. Yeah, no, that, that, that's right. I, I mean, a sort of longer history of this is that there was these sort of uh, political entrepreneurs like uh, Richard Vigory and uh, uh, Paul Weyrich, who kind of yeah. pioneered in the 70s, the sort of yeah. outreach machine, but they were sort of like, extra, they were outside of political parties, they were working as uh, running uh, PACs. And I think right. what uh, Wilson and Green have exploited 
is uh, uh, the way that if you're a member of Congress, you can actually do this. And and then to be fair, like we see this, like you know, on the Democratic side as well. Like, oh, I, know. I get, as I think many of our <laughs> will probably get, you know, like four or five emails from Nancy Pelosi every day. Uh, Gee, yeah, are you? Uh, uh, here's the latest shocking news. Uh, right. Uh, and, well, I, yep. Yeah, I'm glad that like. Uh, as a Canadian, I can't donate even. So it's kind of <laughs> right, hilarious. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that um, uh, Nancy is, uh, you know, concerned to keep up with me. But it, it does seem a bit stalkerish. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Uh, you know, this, this is one of the forces that's revolutionized, you know, the way politics is done. Um, you know, and you can, you know, in in some ways, you know, one might prefer small donors. Um, being a, a bigger force to big donors like the Koch brothers who get all kinds of reactionary um, policy proposals in play because they, they contribute major money. But there is, you know, because there is virtually no oversight on political fundraising anymore, um, you can get, you know, you can say, you know, the more out, especially on the right, I think the more extreme and outrageous you are, the more you get rewarded. It's an incentive uh, structure that's kind of getting hardwired into our politics now. And again, Marjorie Taylor Greene is kind of the, the poster child for it. Yeah, yeah. And I, th I think it's important to keep in mind the political economy that's driving this, which oh, is absolutely. that political machines, uh, politicians in general are like sharks in the sense mm -hmm. that they have to like constantly be consuming cash uh, or they will die, you know, and they have absolutely. to consume many times their weight in uh in dollar bills every <laughs> yeah. day to just keep going and right. uh, uh this is this is the thing that um uh and so if someone like marjorie taylor green comes up with the successful model of you know um outrage driven funding they will become a powerhouse um, yeah and she's also it, it bears noting like um you know another person i interviewed um said you know in terms of messaging on the right Right now, you see her on Fox News much more than you see Donald Trump. She is, in some ways, eclipsing Trump um, in terms of the media platform. And those that's the other piece of it is, um, you know, what keeps the outrage circulating is the right wing media sphere. And uh, it, again, um, we we saw this, you know, just recently with God, you know, I, it was only a week ago I was writing about the. Uh, the gas stove moral panic on the right. And that's <laughs> been supplanted by, you know, the the uh, Eminem thing, yeah, which yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't even follow. I mean, maybe if it were Eminem the rapper, I might have been more interested. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, I will not have you belittling the crucial crisis of our civilization that Eminem's is making uh, their uh, chocolate uh, candy avatars less sexy. Uh, that, that, that's right. That was, uh, 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 the, the, yeah, queer or trans. Uh, and and uh, this no. makes it much less, if you're a manly man like Tucker Carlson. Like Tucker can't Carlson, you can't be left flaccid by your candy. No. <laughs> so so I, again, uh, this podcast is four square for the importance of Eminem. I think that the if I had to make a prediction, I I just saw something on Twitter which I feel like could be the next moral panic, which is someone complaining that the um uh, the smoothie at Wendy's is no longer like the the right consist um um 
uh, way. It's not swirly the way it used to be. And uh, <laughs> I, I saw someone blaming this on communism. And uh, I, I think <laughs> this course. is the idea like, that, that could gain traction. Like, are, are the, uh, are the yeah, red... Uh, you know, what is, what is the communist state but an overly processed smoothie? Uh, you're the you're probably the only podcaster who would, will appreciate this point so i'm going to try to make it i tried to work it into my piece about the grass the the gas stove uh, moral panic um you know the mid-century critique of totalitarianism right was obviously beyond you know the holocaust and and the stalinist gulag that you know totalitarian indi uh, ideology would invade every facet of domestic life. You would have, you know, like Hitler youth brigades informing on their parents. You would have, you know, these battalions of mothers for the motherland or whatever. Um, and it, it now, you know, maybe I'm going crazy, but it feels like um, the right-wing culture war is mimicking the critique of totalitarianism. There is literally no aspect of consumer life that will not be politicized in this weird, you know, operatic, heavy-handed way. And, you know, it is absurd, obviously, on the face of it, but it is also like, um, I don't know, uh, trouble. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. That's uh, uh, absolutely right. The um, There's uh, a weird way in which the current Right has sort of replicated the sort of you know the vices of the Leninist uh, left. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, we're we're speaking at a moment when you know high schools and and elementary schools in Florida are being emptied of their libraries. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that is literally you know if that's not a red flag for you know, I I don't know yeah. how to call it anything other than fascism. Like that's the you know that's the thing to keep in mind as we see all of this, you know, whatever, the the inanity that pours out of Marjorie Taylor Greene's mouth and the Eminem Fuhrer or whatever, there, you know, there is a real hardcore agenda behind this culture war um, rhetoric. And it, you know, it results in book burning. Really, yeah, you know. no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I mean, no, it, it does. Um, this is absolutely something very sinister uh, about this. And it's, it's, it's uh, going in a very dark place. Uh, so we've talked about the the worst who are full of passionate intensity, and maybe mm -hmm. we can uh, round off this discussion with the the best who lack all conviction. Uh, uh, yes, <laughs> I think you might mean the Democrats. The Democrats, that's <laughs> right, that's right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I think that is the true political divide. Now, uh, you wrote another column, which was a very good, and uh, it, it took up something I had raised as well right, in a column on um, last week's yeah. podcast about the uh, the new Joe Biden's new chaff, uh, chief of staff, uh, Jeffrey uh, Zients. Um, and uh, the I I wanted to bring that up because I thought your column went deeper than I did in terms of some of the issues uh, with Jeffrey Zients. And so uh, maybe uh, maybe to present the sort of devil's advocate or the uh, sure. mainstream Democrats point of view, you know, like when I raised objections to Zion, so people were saying, like, well, you know, those are ideological objections, but let's talk about competence. Uh, right. This guy has uh, managerial skill and he's going to, this is a job that requires you to be, right. you know, make sure the trains run on time 
in the White House. Uh, right. You know, like uh, if that's what he's going to be doing, then isn't, you know, this fellow with that very impressive corporate background, uh, the man for the job? Uh, any response? Well, yeah, I mean, that that is a good characterization of, I, I think, the view of, uh, you know, sort of leading Democrats in Washington that, you know, right now it's a critical moment. Um, there is some economic uncertainty still. Uh, the Biden administration is, you know, sort of in the implementation phase of these ambitious legislative packages that it got through the last Congress, like the Inflation Reduction Act, like the CHIPS Act, et cetera. Um, you know, Ron Klain, who was Zients' predecessor, was uh, kind of a traditional political fixer in the role of, of chief of staff. And, you know, he got a lot of that stuff done um, under really tight and difficult circumstances. Um, but now, you know, it's the the implication is now it's time for the, the sort of grown up executive to take charge, um, which, you know, there is room for. Um, you know, I'm I'm certainly pro competence. You know, <laughs> you want people who are able to you know meet these big challenges. The problem is, um, you know, this is someone who spent the the last um, spent about eighteen months as uh, Biden's um, COVID czar. Um, and if you talk to people in the world of public health who are battling, um, you know, what is still a rampaging COVID pandemic. Um, they say his performance has been disastrous. You know, there have been 700,000 COVID deaths on Biden's watch. There's been a total privatization of, you know, we're, we're on the verge of a moment because Congress is not gonna um, continue funding um, readily available free vaccines. Um, so COVID vaccines are gonna um, cost about $120. Um, yeah. Which, you know, this is already under a regime where um, I think for the bivalent, you've got something like 13 to 15 percent of the eligible population got the, the bivalent. Um, so, um, you know, using this model that you put forward of like, you know, here's someone with proven executive experience, he'll take charge, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't look good. And, you know, this is to say nothing of his you know, his main credential that got him um, into uh, the White House in the first place as a private equity executive. Um, your, your piece went into great depth on this, on his, uh, you know, there, um, he commandeered several, um, actually in the healthcare sector, um, several um, deals that resulted in dramatic diminution of reliable service and fraud complaints you know this is yeah. uh, again not an encouraging track record um so you know i guess it would be one thing if you could um sort of say you know whatever i mean he was he was a an he was a protege of Mitt Romney's at Bank Capital. Like the list goes on, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, is, I mean, I mentioned this before, but it is ironic that I mean, the Democrats won twenty twelve presidential largely on the fact that like the the Barack Obama quite correctly pointed out that um, uh, you know Mitt Romney was a you know a vulture capitalist at yep. uh, Bain Capital and uh, uh, and America a large swath of America. Um, including that you know very prized 
white uh, uh, working class. Well, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're I, I, throughout, and, at least since the um, you know Democratic uh, primaries in 2016, I you know would go to parties in Washington, and the, I, this is why I, I don't get invited to many parties in Washington. But I would say, like, you know, it's not any great mystery why you know the upper midwest blue wall was there for obama in 2012 it's because he bailed out the auto industry like yeah. that entire economy that's the part of the country i'm from like you know it's a massive um you know kind of traditional fdr type um yes and then and mitt romney literally wrote yeah uh, no mitt romney was gonna detroit let detroit die. die he wrote it <laughs> yeah. in the new york times so how we got, you know, that this is like one of the the great, you know, ideological and political mysteries of our age. Like there was a clear lesson to be learned from that campaign and the Democrats refused to learn it um, yeah. to the point where, you know, again, famously in 2016, you know, Hillary Clinton didn't even send yard signs up to Michigan, you know, like. I yeah, yeah, no, I don't no. know. Like you yeah, you so tell they, me this is this is actually all of a piece because this is the neoliberal managerial mindset yeah, yeah. that you know goes back to the first Clinton White House and and the idea of you know well we we don't have to worry about the working class white black um people of color etc because what are they going to do vote republican you know that was the rationale behind getting NAFTA and GATT and all the the global trade deals that, you know, sort of hollowed out the um, manufacturing economy in this country. And lo and behold, a generation later, we have the answer. Yes, they are going to vote Republican if you don't give them something else. So, sorry, I, yeah, I just... Yeah, no, no, I, no, I think that's... I think that's exactly, when you yeah, no, but I mean, I, I know, I think that it's, it's good to put in the sort of, you know, Jeffrey Zients as chief of staff within this context, Right. You know, there's this kind of, you know, corporate wing of the Democratic Party. Um, and I mean, Joe Biden, to his credit, and Ron Klain, to his credit, like they've tried to, like, you know, unify the party and have, like, you know, made a lot of concessions to the left. Yeah, no, and uh, I, I do think, uh, you know, one of the, the things that has surprised me in, in a gratifying way about the Biden administration is up until this moment, Biden has been fairly resistant to the undertow of the neoliberal consensus in the Democratic Party. Yeah. He's, you know, said he wanted to, he he is not, but he said he wanted to be the most pro-worker president since FDR. Um, and, you know, we were talking earlier about Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, who's a McKinsey consultant, applied that playbook to his job. And, you know, we had this unbelievable series of uh, calamities involving air traffic that are, are still being unwound and are all part of, you know, he, um, judge, you know, staged giveaway after giveaway to, you know, um, his regulatory um, clients, which is the way he thinks of them. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no, I mean, no, I, I think that the uh, Buttigieg and Zions do sort of point to, you know, the, the, the power of this kind of, it's not just corporate, I mean, it is exactly that sort of uh, management consultant class. It's, 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 right. a, it's a particular wing of, 
of capitalism. Um, and the argument is always that, you know, th these people know how to bring like efficiency, efficiency and right. improvement. Um, and I'll mention as a Canadian, I'm a bit uh, interested in this issue just because the uh, current uh, Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, um, there's a kind of emerging issue that he has uh, given wide swath of the government uh, public service handed it over to McKinsey to to reform and that, that might be causing trouble. But I, I just think, you know, one has to look at the sort of track record of these things. I think both Buttigieg's record, you know, uh, um, as transportation secretary and uh, Zients' record on COVID um, are very troublesome. Um, and it's partially a, a matter of like that they um, um, are very friendly towards big business and, you know, see their, their main duty as to be serving that. Um, and, but also, I mean, the reverse side of that is that they don't want to use the resources of the um, society in the state to counter corporate power, right? They don't. Exactly and right. Uh, uh, I mean, the Buddhist example you mentioned, like, I think it's very interesting that there's been a lot of pushback and we're seeing like sort of congressional Democrats, you know, um, right being very vocal in criticizing what happened and and pushing Buttigieg to use actual regulatory power that he has to fix this mess. Um, with the, I mean, the COVID thing, like what's striking to me, like all these vaccines, like they were paid for by American taxpayers, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> like this is what Operation Warp Speed was about. Yep. That's easily like, like, you know, if one were in a political environment where, you know, government... Um, uh, actions can be celebrated. This is actually, you know, like right. we're have to go back to like, you know, the, the moon launch or something like this. This is like a real example of like if, if you pour government money into something. And so so it seems like... Which, like, which again is why Trump will not run away from it. Like yeah. it is a genuine um, accomplishment of the public sector. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the problem is if you start down that road, if you're a neoliberal capitalist, you know, it leads to national health care. <laughs> you know, the way to fight a pandemic is the same way to do public health generally it's yeah. the way to you know ensure that uh american lifespans do not diminish as they have been and to ensure that you know children and vulnerable populations get the health care they need it's it is to make healthcare universal and free um yeah yeah you know no, i we, mean it, it, we can't have that so that this is why you know science's tenure as covid czar was largely an exercise in impression management where he was you know essentially saying we are turning this around you don't have to wear a mask um you know maybe get vaccinated if you feel like it but no pressure you know it was all uh and exercising kind of, again, box checking, um, you know, to just sort of say, you know, as a country, we're moving behind this, even though the facts on the ground were at least as dire, um, you know, in uh, um, over uh, December, I think it was, we had 10,000 COVID deaths, um, which is as high. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 it is very troubling. I mean, like, I think we're going to look back on this era uh with a lot of dismay uh I mean, especially the masking thing bothers me because you know one can understand people's concerns about vaccines even if they're wrong like you know like there's something where you know these are you know new experimental things uh they do have side effects but like masking is something you know like that uh <laughs> you can't <laughs> You would not think it would be controversial. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, for for, for 
the people in charge of public health not to get behind the actual yeah. thing that would like save lives is a very um uh troubling thing and it does seem like i mean if the operation warp speed and the development of the vaccines were a great success then the actual implementation and i would say this under both trump and biden mm -hmm. ha has been um um uh a failure and it really speaks to like uh, uh a deep-seated problem and problem that's only going to get worse because there's going to be like we're already seeing this it's it's um wrecked the sort of public the healthcare system uh you're seeing like long covid you know like you, there's no way that the existing system is going to be able to deal with this especially not you know, equipped exactly um these predatory far, uh pharmaceuticals that are, you don't know, want to jack up the prices of vaccines that were actually developed by public money i mean i, I just want to reiterate that i know and it is it is and insane how insane and, that is yeah. 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 There was a there was a piece um, actually in, in the Washington Post over the weekend about a, um, a human or this um, arthritis treatment um, that because of um, manipulation of, of uh, patents, which is the huge thing in the pharmaceutical industry that needs to be attacked, um, you know, it resulted in something like one hundred and forty billion dollars of excess profits for a drug that's now coming on, you know, the patents are expiring and um, there will now be wide, you know, much more widely available treatment. But uh, that's just, you know, one, if there were some way to make the media ecosystem slow down <laughs> and, you know, to let these kind of numbers sink, sink in, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, so so yeah, so the, this is uh, unfortunately this is a very pessimistic podcast uh, with uh, both the. Uh, uh, it is the, called uh, the time the, of monsters. I yeah, mean, the, it's the passionate uh, the intensity <laughs> and the uh, lacking all conviction sides <laughs> continuing uh, their operation, but uh, uh, the you know if one can't be very optimistic about. Uh, the state of politics. Well, one can at least be grateful for the um, the sound analysis that uh, you know continues to be done by uh, people like Chris. Uh, and I, I want to thank, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs>